too. Rejoice! cried Carlo as he appeared in the kitchen, just as Locke and Jean were moving the dining table back to its customary position. The Sansa brothers are returned! I do wonder, said Jean, if that particular combination of words has ever been uttered by anyone before now. Only in the chambers of unattached young ladies across the city, said Galdo, as he set a small burlap sack down on the table. Locke shook it open and perused the contents. A few lockets set with semi-precious stones, a set of moderately well-crafted silver forks and knives, and an assortment of rings ranging from cheap engraved copper to one made of threaded gold and platinum, set with flecks of obsidian and diamond. Oh, very nice, said Locke, very likely. Jean, would you pick out a few more bits from the bullshit box and get me twenty solons, right? Twenty's good and proper. While Locke gestured for Carlo and Galdo to help him set chairs back in place around the dining table, Jean walked back to the vault room, where there was a tall, narrow wooden chest tucked against the left-hand wall. He threw back the lid on its creaky hinges and began rummaging inside, a thoughtful expression on his face. The bullshit box was filled to a depth of about two feet with a glittering pile of jewellery, knick-knacks, household items, and decorative gewgaws. There were crystal statues, mirrors in carved ivory frames, necklaces and rings, candle holders in five kinds of precious metal. There were even a few bottles of drugs and alchemical drafts, wrapped in felt to cushion them and marked with little paper labels. Since the gentlemen bastards could hardly tell the copper about the true nature of their operations, and since they had neither the time nor the inclination to actually break into houses and clamber down chimneys, the bullshit box was one of the pillars of their ongoing deception. They topped it off once or twice a year, going on buying sprees in the pawn shops and markets off Talisham or Ashmere, where they could get whatever they needed openly. They supplemented it only slightly and carefully with goods picked up in Camor, usually things stolen on a whim by the Sansas, or secured by Bug as part of his continuing education. Jean selected a pair of silver wine goblets, a pair of gold-framed optics inside a fine leather case, and one of the little wrapped bottles. Clutching all of this carefully in one hand, he then counted twenty small silver coins off a shelf, kicked the bullshit box shut, and hurried back out to the dining room. Bug had rejoined the group and was ostentatiously walking a solon across the knuckles of his right hand. He'd mastered the trick only weeks previously, after long months of watching the Sansas, who could each do both hands at once, reversing directions in perfect unison. Let us say said Jean, that we have had a somewhat slothful week. Nobody expects much from second-story men when the nights are wet like this anyway. We might look out of place if we haul in too much. Surely his honour will understand. Of course, said Locke. Quite a reasonable thought. He reached out and took the felt-wrapped bottle for close examination. His handwritten label identified it as sugared milk of opium, a rich lady's vice made from dried jeremite poppies. He removed the label and the felt, then tucked the faceted glass bottle with its brass stopper into the burlap sack. The rest of the loot followed. Right. Now, 
Is there any speck of Lucas Fairwhite still clinging to me? Any make-up or mummery? He stuck out his arms and twirled several times. Jean and the Sansas assured him that he was entirely Loch Lamora for the moment. Well then, if we're all our proper selves, let's go pay our taxes. Locke lifted the sack of stolen items and tossed it casually to Bug. The boy yelped, dropping his coin, and caught the sack with a muffled clatter of shaken metal. Good for my moral education, I suppose. No, said Locke. This time I really am just being a lazy old bastard. At least you won't have to work the barge pole. <laughs>